0: Hey there. Welcome to Cageless, a conversation podcast about experiential wisdom and personal hope. I'm Jenny Johnson. I'm a writer, and I'm asking experts, thought leaders, and my friends to share their knowledge and tools on how they found freedom. Today, we have on a friend of mine who I actually met through the magical world of the World Wide Web. (laughs) We are on opposite ends of the country, but we have been connected through the the wonderful world of TikTok. This is writer, podcaster, pianist, a very, very smart man um, that I am so lucky to know. Mr. Kyle Johnson. Kyle, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm doing well. Good to be here.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. So as I mentioned, Kyle and I met on TikTok, which is, is a really cool medium. I think that I've met a lot of really wonderful pals through it um, just because it's a really cool space of of mutual interest. And in particular, Kyle runs a channel that is dedicated to one of my favorite things in the entire world, which is books um, and the dissection of books uh, and literature kind of in general. So Kyle Can you tell me a little bit about, I don't think that I know, when did you start your TikTok?
1: Um, That's a good question. When did I start my TikTok? So, I mean, I was Mm -hmm. a user on it before I was a creator on it. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was entertained by TikTok for a good four or five months before I decided that I would jump in and start creating stuff. And I guess that I decided that I wanted to become a creator because a lot of the book talk content that I was seeing I wasn't getting maybe what I wanted from it. That isn't to say it was bad. It mm-hmm. was bad, or uh, I didn't like the creators because a lot of them have become my friends. But um, mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, an approach that took more of a deep dive into literature and into passages. And uh, the videos that have kind of blown up for me have been ones where I just analyzed kind of the first line of a famous book. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of reminded of this Toni Morrison quote, which has kind of become one of my mantras in life um, since about a year ago, which is when I started creating TikToks. And she said something like, if there's a book that you want to read, and it doesn't exist, you must be the one who writes it. And um, even though there's a big difference between Writing a book like Toni Morrison would write and creating a TikTok, I thought, you know, if I'm if I'm not happy with this, if I think that I can do something to add to this space that's not already there, I need to be the one to just step up and do it. Absolutely. And so I tried it, and um, it's been pretty much like 99% a good experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that that like, what is it like? Be the change you want to see in the world, or like, you know, whatever. I think that you've done such a great job with it. I mean, obviously, I'm a follower, so I love all of the the topics and books and things that you are exploring in such a in such a deep way. So you said that you've been a user, um, but now you're a creator. When when did you start creating? Can you think of like a time in your childhood? Like where did you grow up? Was it an environment where you could create or were you like consumed more? Do do you like have a particular time that you're like, oh, I'm a maker too. I'm not just a consumer. (laughs) Um,
1: yeah. So a little bit about my background. I'm Mm -hmm. originally from Kentucky. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. And I had the the benefit of going of living in a school district that was very good and that also had a really great arts program, mm-hmm. um, and that was mostly in middle school and high school. But, um, you know, when I was growing up, I would sit down at my grandmother's piano as a kid and be able to tap out little tunes that I would hear on the TV, and I could learn things by rote that she would teach me. Wow. And so that kind of indicated, to her at least, that I should have piano lessons So I started taking piano lessons around age seven, and I was a horrible student. I mean, looking back on it, now that I've been in that seat as a teacher and Mm -hmm. been teaching kids, I see myself in some of the the students that I've had who are, like, really bad and don't practice. So that was me for a good, I don't know, five or six years when I first started taking lessons. Mm. But I reached a point probably in high school, and it was when I was also being consumed by this great world of marching band. Um, a great I a, world. I was a saxophonist. And we had a very competitive band uh, on a national level, um, competitive in that way. And so I was kind of just consumed with with music or by music at that time. Mm. And I was still taking piano lessons. Most people knew me in high school as a saxophone player, not as a pianist, even though I, I had been playing piano since I was seven uh, and was probably better at, at piano than saxophone. But um, I don't know, I guess I, I was just always around it. I was always mm-hmm. around people who were doing similar things and who were interested in the same things that I was Yeah. Um, and who were quite talented. So I, I was very, very lucky in that regard.
0: Immersed, yeah, immersed in like art in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And then, you know, there were some opportunities that came up during those years that kind of solidified my desire to continue doing music to some extent in college mm-hmm. and when I got to college um, I went to school in for undergrad in Nashville Tennessee I did English and I did uh, music performance during that time I think that I just respected my teacher so much in college that I remember telling him at some point that I wanted to have his job <laughs> and he was like Blank. well if you want to if you want to be a professor, you need to go to grad school. So I decided to continue with music in grad school. So moved to Boston, did my master's in Boston, moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and went to UW-Madison and finished my doctorate in 2018 uh, at UW-Madison.
0: Wow. Okay, so if we can back up just for a second, you were, you had the audacity to tell your professor, I want your job he told you how to get it, and then you went and did it.
1: Well, he. <laughs> I wasn't saying I want your job. Like I'm going to kick you out of your job. Yeah, um, I
0: want to be like you one day.
1: He's still he's still teaching. He's still in the mm-hmm. same role at the same school. So mm-hmm. uh, until he retires, you know, there's not much hope of me getting his job. But but maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I th- I mean I think that that's true in the higher education world right now, mm-hmm. is especially in the performing arts. And probably in the humanities in general, you need a doctorate degree before places will even look at your resume or yeah. consider you for the role. So right. it kind of once you're complete with once you've completed that, it kind of moves your your resume and your materials up on the stack of applications that they get.
0: When it comes to higher education, because you have so much success on you know TikTok, which is a platform of shared knowledge, shared creativity, shared entertainment, you didn't need a doctorate to do that. Do you feel as if though that that is like your skills outside of academia are more um, profitable or uh, resourceful than your degree?
1: You know, I think to some extent that's probably true. But at the same time, most of the people who I went to school with and who are probably getting degrees now in the performing arts or the humanities are probably mm-hmm. not doing 100% of what they were trained to to do you know the specificity that they that they have now with the degree they're probably not doing that in a in a job who is um i mean the more practical doctors <laughs> yeah more more <laughs> practical degrees um engineering mm-hmm,
0: scientists
1: mm-hmm. doctors stuff like that
0: right 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 but the as a as a Creative. I personally have a have a background in film media, and I couldn't tell you the last time I used gaff tape, but uh, <laughs> it's like I have I have this background, and we all become uh, the the product of our environment and circumstance up to this point in our life, right? Um, it doesn't really have to do with having a specific piece of paper with a specific label. You know,
1: I do think that degrees do give people a sense of accomplishment and is a good way of of showing people that they can delve deep into something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, kind of deepen their their expertise in a very Mm -hmm. specific, I don't know, line of study or or line of thought. Uh, And I do think that that has a good effect on how one approaches life in the world, maybe. Um, maybe gives someone a little bit more analytical of an approach or gives them tools to be able to interpret or analyze things that may happen in their life Mm. or that they may encounter like a a book or something like that. But,
0: Um, you know, taking all the things that you've like learned academically, um, is there anything else that like you, is there something that you don't do? Like you are just like so creative when it comes to like like music, when it comes to literature, you're such a talented writer. Um, you run a podcast, you host. Is there anything that you don't do, or anything that we don't <laughs> know about?
1: That would be nice. I wish that I, I wish that I enjoyed cooking, but I, I don't. Um, I, I was never good at sports. If there is a sport that I did do and was good at, it was swimming, which. The only reason I like swimming is because I hate to sweat, and if you're mm-hmm. in the cold water, you know, you don't even notice you're, if you're sweating. But it is a workout. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's great exercise. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know, I, I think I, I place value in, in exercise in general, so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a solid job now. I work in higher education and, and the arts. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I have my day filled with my normal day job, I guess.
0: So you did you did do what you told the professor that you were gonna do. You're like, I wanna, I wanna be you one day, and now you kind of are.
1: <laughs> I work in more of a, um, kind of approaching higher education and the arts within higher mm. education at the federal level. Um, so oh. kind of overseeing different schools of music, mm. theater, dance, that kind of thing within colleges and universities.
0: I think that. I mean, I am such an advocate that, like, knowledge is power, but you can only do so much with, with the knowledge and, like, talent that you have unless you have someone else to, like, escort you into, you know, any type of success, any type of career, any type of higher education, um was there anyone in your life other than this professor <laughs> that we had mentioned that is ki- that kind of escorted you or like mentored helped you get to the level where you're at hmm.
1: i mean in in the training of music the model is an apprenticeship model so you know you're you're studying with a one individual just you and that person in the room it's not a lecture format it's not a seminar format. I mean, there are those classes, but just in terms of training on the instrument, it's apprenticeship. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say that my my private teachers since high school have have done that for me. But just in terms of the quest for knowledge and valuing education, I remember when I was in high school and I, mm-hmm. I had a French teacher who... I didn't really even like the class or the guy that much, but I guess he saw something in me and he, he told me one day that he recognized that I was somebody who liked to learn and nobody had ever, had ever told, told me that before. So I kind of just accepted it. And then that same year, um, I had a really good English teacher And the fact that I remember her so well and I remember all the books that we read speaks to how good I think she was. But all of the books that we read, I really, really enjoyed. And I remember reading The Scarlet Letter. And after class one day, I think we had just taken a test on it. The teacher, it was just me and the teacher in the room. And she said, oh, how do you think you did on the test? And I said, oh, I think I did. I think I did pretty well because I really enjoyed the book. And she got super happy and she she said you know, that makes my day to even know that students are enjoying the book, let alone just reading all the material. And so I don't know, I I kind of saw that that kind of quest for knowledge and that enjoyment of learning um, was valuable. And I just kept kind of pursuing that idea throughout my studies. And in each degree, I kind of reached a point, probably about halfway through Or I recognized opportunities that I could push myself even more. Mm. And a lot of that also had to do with just having the courage of asking my professors if they could be a little harder on me. Or if they could, if I, you know, if a class had the final assignment of writing a 10, 15 page paper, you know, I would ask them, can you uh, read this as if it was something that I could give at a, a conference, like a conference talk? I wanted it to kind of be at that level. Right. And so in general, I found that teachers are more than willing to do that, especially if they know that students are taking the initiative to ask for that kind of kind of treatment. Yes.
0: Yes. And there, there's so much going back to your instance with your English teacher. I think that so many of us who have... Been, I mean, in high school or higher education or whatever, a lot of what you are studying is only what you make of it. I mean, they're going to get paid regardless, right? So whenever you really dig into the material or take advantage of the education that you are paying for or being given, whatever that point of privilege or decision is – how how supplemental it can be not just to your grade because like what degrees and degrees actually do like that's it's not an inherent uh value on your worth like your what it's whatever you take from it right um so you mentioned the scarlet letter were there any other books that you feel like uh you that have have taken you have taken with you and they took they took you in as well
1: Well, definitely The Great Gatsby. And that was one that I read that year in that class. Mm. And since then, I think I've read it two or three more times. Yeah, I I always recommend to people who, especially on TikTok, you know, people ask, how do I get into classic literature? Mm. And my answer is, go back and reread the books that you read in high school or that Mm. you had to read in high school, because whether or not you just spark noted the whole thing back then, you're going to have such a great entry point already. So mm-hmm. go back and, and look at that stuff mm-hmm. that I guarantee you're going to get something out of it and you're going to get something different than you got the first time. Yes. Um, so anyway, the, scar- the Scarlet Letter was great. But The Great Gatsby, I don't know, something about it really spoke to me. The first time I read it, I thought this is just a really great story. Um, mm-hmm. I loved learning about all of the motifs and symbols that are common in high school English curriculum you know the green light and the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the importance of money and stuff like that so I got that out of the, out of it the first time the mm-hmm. second time um, I think I related a lot to the the narrator of the book um, so it, it felt a little bit more personal the second time mm-hmm. the third time that I read it was just a few months ago for a project I was working on and I read it much more politically. I don't know if that's because I live in DC now and Mm. am surrounded by everything political, Mm -hmm. but I read it honestly as kind of a political manifesto that Fitzgerald had provided for people. Um, Just kind of his critique of capitalism and of the American dream. Um, Yeah. And just kind of this, this idea that as Americans, we kind of have it in our blood to reach for something and to have certain desires. Mm-hmm. And the tragedy of it is that most of the time we'll never actually reach what we desire because if we do it, it stops becoming a desire, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, I just thought that the story of Gatsby is so beautiful and how it encapsulates the the image of that kind of desiring.
0: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that in in America in in particular, we we live on this treadmill of, you know, you you there's always more to want. There's always more to get. And it's a little morbid, but you you look at a lot of um, very successful people who either take their own lives or, you know, tap out of their industry or you know, end up being very unhappy or, um, you know, abuse substances or abuse themselves or their family. And it makes a lot of sense, right? But no one, we don't have that class, right? We don't have <laughs> how how to be happy 101. We have English class or we have, um, you know, the, the different things that we pursue in higher education. And I, I would absolutely agree with you that Whenever you actually read like Animal Farm, if I actually read that when I did, can you imagine (laughs) or like Lord of the Flies or like any of the things that Scarlet Letter, uh, um, Beowulf, a lot of the things that the reason why we are assigned that in English class isn't to get a grade. You know, it is to actually teach us something. So, which brings me to my next question. If there were something that you wish that you could have learned because you have so much education under your belt, if there could be like a class, what would it be under?
1: That's a good question. <laughs> let me think of, Let me think for a second. So, I mean, I think that one thing that maybe this isn't like a, a standard lesson that one would get in a class, but... Mm-hmm. Maybe just a lesson on how to be, uh, to not be so consumed by what you think is objectively right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I think if one could focus a little bit more on just observing things and noticing how it's making you feel or someone else feel, mm. I think that that could allow someone, t- or it could allow me to be a little bit more vulnerable at times rather than feeling that I needed to take a stance on something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's difficult because when you're younger, you don't usually have the language that's necessary to express a lot of those feelings that you might feel when you should be, when you do feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, I mean, it's just a, a matter of pursuing a perspective of openness rather than, again, a perspective that, has to take a stance or has to has an opinion about what's right or wrong objectively. And I, I, I look back at, you know, some of my earlier days, especially in college, I think I was somebody that kind of prioritized hierarchies, especially in the arts, you know, saying, Oh, this, this style of music is um, not trash, but you know, it's lowbrow and I'm here to, to study the highbrow stuff and, we should only be consumed with highbrow stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the more someone could get away from that type of thinking, the better Mm -hmm. and the more open one becomes. And the more appreciative you are of hard work that someone is putting in to something they're passionate about that may happen to not be classical music or may happen to not be the Canterbury Tales or (laughs) Paradise Mm Lost, you know, these... Really difficult, complex um, works of art. So, yeah, I hope that answered your question.
0: Vulnerability 101, empathy 101, recognizing, you know, thoughts and feelings and actions of other people and not placing judgment on them. Because, especially as artists, I noticed the same thing in, in film school. It's always, you know, how can you be better than someone else? What's good? What's bad? Um, what is right, what's wrong, when in reality, everything is so, so subjective, first of all, to change, but also, like, who gets to assign meaning to anything? And I think that, like, even if you're trying, that's kind of, that should kind of be the the meaning, right? Write the book, whether whether it's going to be a bestseller or not. Uh, Make the piece of music, listen to the music, consume, you know, the music, whether... It's amazing or not because it's your taste that matters. You were you were put on this. You're here, aren't you? You know what I mean? Um, also, I, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think it, it just at, at some point I realized that it was boring to think in those kind of hierarchical models mm-hmm. in, in classical music. There's definitely composers who are seen as the most serious music that there could be that could be written. Um, Brahms, Wagner, Schubert, and other music like the music of, I don't know, Liszt or even somebody more recent like um, Paul McCartney or Stephen Sondheim Mm. was somehow lesser music. Um, It's just boring to think that way. I mean, and you get to the point where the music that you are putting on a pedestal You're finding that it's really only a few pieces, and again, I'm continuing to think in this model of musical training and classical music, but I remember when I auditioned for um, graduate school, I could see kind of on the list of auditionees what their repertoire was, and it was the same exact piece, just over and over and over. I can't imagine what it would be like to be one of the faculty members that's judging that has to listen to the same piece. And the people had a choice, you know, of repertoire that they could choose, but they felt they had to choose the most difficult repertoire, the most serious repertoire. And it's just kind of boring to me now.
0: How have you found, uh, let me reframe this, it, has there been freedom on the other side of letting go of judgment for you? Have you found enjoyment in anything in particular?
1: Yeah, so this is actually where TikTok comes in because it has given me a really creative outlet. I'm sure you feel the same to some Mm -hmm. extent. But um, some of my favorite creators on TikTok are ones that are being authentic. They're documenting something in their lives, whether that's a creative pursuit that they're working on or even just their lives. But they're being authentic and maybe they have 200 followers, which isn't many. That's some of my favorite followers just because they don't they don't have the pressure, I guess, of a huge audience. They're just being themselves. And a lot of times they're doing really interesting stuff. And I, I don't know, I just really appreciate that.
0: When, yeah, I I think that whenever you take the pressure off of even things that that you should be enjoying. I know for myself personally, as a writer, it's you know I I should be reading, you know, <laughs> uh, things which I don't even I don't I don't actually want to say anyone's name because I don't want to paint anyone as like a higher uh, higher writer than <laughs> another. But some of my things that some of my books and some of the the writers that I love to follow would probably be considered by some as, you know, lame or not respectable or, um, girly or like not, you know, not respected. Um, but it's like, Mm -hmm. if I enjoy them, then where, like who gets to decide what's respected? Who gets to decide what's good or what's bad? If entertainment, if, if you can't be entertained by the entertainment that you enjoy, what can you actually, (laughs) what can you actually enjoy? Which I think that that is a huge power power of TikTok. Um.
1: You know, I went to a, just as a experiment, or actually it wasn't an experiment. It was me going into a bookstore, Mm -hmm. not knowing that there was an event going on when I walked in. Um, Anyway, I walked into a bookstore and small place, but in one corner of the room, there was a um, romance novel book club going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought this would be interesting to listen in on. So I stayed, you know, kind of off to the side and listened to the entire meeting. And romance novels, Harlequin romance novels, are not, you, you know, usually known to be great literature. I think that's probably safe to say. But arguably, they are the books that sell the most copies. Because mm-hmm. most of the time they're they're available at places like Walmart or Walgreens or something like that. Um And I have to say the type of discussion that went on in that group was honestly kind of the same level as what I would expect in a college literature class. I mean they were looking at character, they were looking at metaphor, they were looking at um, analyzing how the text made them feel certain things. Um, It was super interesting and I actually wrote an essay about that experience that I'll have to send to you because yes. um, it's it's honestly very funny to read. Um, but I don't know. I, that was a experience that, that stuck out in my mind. Yes.
0: And also what, like, I think that when other people can't, because I can only imagine the people who are in that circle, I'm sure if someone else in their life knew that they were there, they would poke fun at them or they would, you know, Act like what they were doing wasn't of stature or respect. But at the end of the day, it's like, are you enjoying it? Are you getting something out of it? And that's what actually matters. And I've also noticed that a lot of the time, judgment when it comes to style or music or entertainment, um, art, when someone is placing judgment on you, it's usually kind of like, well, what, what? What are you not willing to see in yourself? What are you not willing to enjoy? Because, like, you're allowed to watch anime if, like, you think that that's something that you would enjoy. You're allowed to, if you freaking, I don't know, like, if you want to go join water aerobics with, like, the old people at the YMCA, like, why why are we not allowing ourselves to enjoy things that aren't harmful to others? You know, placing the whole guilty pleasure shtick on certain types of genres or certain types of things is really fascinating to me. But I do think that um, TikTok in general has been a really beautiful outlet for a lot of different people. And your Your channel in particular, for myself, and I know for so many other people, um, I was always considered to be like, if I were to want to like read a book instead of like go out, or like if I were to want to finish a chapter instead of you know do whatever, and it's like oh like her heads in a book or like oh (laughs) like she's lame. It's it's like wait no actually there is a community. There's this camaraderie of people of like oh I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm really not alone. I
1: I definitely agree with that, and uh, I mean especially for me where. The thing that I feature on my TikTok is books. I mean, it's kind of obvious that that is one of my activities that I do. And mm-hmm. reading is a solitary act, mm-hmm. um, just like sitting in a practice room and practicing piano was a solitary act. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think that that aspect of of life, embracing that, if it's something that you enjoy, mm-hmm. um, that was a lesson for me. To learn, actually, at Mm -hmm. one point in my life, I thought that introversion or wanting to be alone or being into books and that's all I wanted to do Mm -hmm. was um, not only a a bad thing, but unhealthy Mm. for some reason. And I think that that had a lot to do with maybe what my parents wanted me to do and um, certain directions that I think I was pushed in Mm -hmm. at a younger age. Um, I remember one time I went to, I was involved in the youth group in middle school at our church, and I remember we went on some kind of trek somewhere. It was a canoe trip or I forget. It doesn't matter what it was, but anyway, we when we were coming back to Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm from, uh, we stopped at a hotel and it was four to a room kind of normal on trips like that and I remember we got into the hotel room and then everybody that was sharing a room with me left and I never even thought where did these people go or anything um but about 30 minutes later apparently the youth group leader had sent someone up to my room so I heard a knock at the door and the person said um this guy, the youth group leader wants to see you down in the exercise room. <laughs> and I thought that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So I went down there and everybody in the, in the whole youth group was down there just fooling around, talking, eating snacks, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to the the leader and, and he's like, what's going on with you? You're not hanging out with anybody. And I thought to myself, I didn't even know that we were supposed to be hanging out. Like right. It never right. even crossed my mind. Like, I was having a nice time, a nice quiet evening in the hotel. Yes. <laughs> in the hotel room. Didn't know we were, it was and, social hour. Yeah. And so I, I looked around and uh, it was super loud in the room, and I, I thought to myself, should I force myself to stay here and just be wanting to leave the whole time that I'm here? Mm. <laughs> so I turned right around and went back up to the hotel room. Yeah. And I'm kind of proud of myself that I did that because there would be moments later in my life where I would feel obligated and kind of compelled to put myself in, in those situations and stay in them. Even though the entire time, you know, I, I wasn't having a good time or I just wanted to leave. Um, so I think that, that the more, if someone is introverted, the more that one can embrace that part of their their personality Right. the better. Because I, I do think that it's kind of a superpower. When the pandemic started and I, everybody started working at home and you couldn't see anyone, um, I was kind of good. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it was obviously a tragic time. People were dying and I I didn't like that part. But there were people that really struggled when quarantine started happening. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt at the height of my creative powers I guess yes and that's that's kind of where TikTok came in as well
0: absolutely out of I think you giving yourself permission is a really it's it's a remarkable thing a a lot of people don't don't have that internal compass to validate themselves at such a young age so first of all congratulations I know I didn't have that (laughs) second of (laughs) all um it's it's really really cool that like It's, you know, introversion isn't ever modeled in a positive light, not in mass, if I'm allowed to say that. I think that there's a lot more reward when it comes to be, at least in our culture, when it comes to being charismatic and, um, you know, a little bit louder, which that's not actually the definition of extroversion. The definition of extroversion is being, um, you know, fueled by – being, You are, like, recharged by other people, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's the definition of it. But I think that um, – I think it's cool that you're making make, – make books cool. Make being able to be alone cool. Make that kind of solidarity allowed. You don't have to live – in the spotlight of like other people or being performing for other people. And actually there's a lot of other people that feel just like you do. And there's like, it's, it's kind of ironic because like there's a community of people who feel the same way about being alone, which makes you not alone.
1: Right. And I think people struggle with, with saying that out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, my, I started this podcast recently with, which is just 10 minute conversations about, uh, discussions with people of what they're currently reading, and the theme music that I chose was actually written by a composer and performer friend of mine, a percussionist in Boston, and he made this album called Wallflower, that he said is a tribute to introversion, and so I thought that that's very fitting music. I think the vibe of it, of it, and the intent of it, very fitting music for this podcast. So. That's just a little plug of of a new project that I started within the past few weeks.
0: Yes, yes. Kyle has a very, very cool um, new podcast coming out that I cannot recommend enough. Uh, I, and this may be shamelessly plugging myself because I was on it, but that will absolutely be be linked uh, in the show notes here. Uh, Kyle, what a supplemental conversation this has been. Uh, To wrap up, I have a question that I've been asking all of my guests um, in light of freedom and growth um, in the pursuit of knowledge, what you know now versus what you knew then, what would you tell younger Kyle? Maybe what would you tell the Kyle who was in that, uh, in that room with all of the youth kids? What would, what would be a, a piece of advice that you would say to him?
1: The thing I would tell my younger self is, like I said, don't be ashamed of introversion. Find a group of people that has similar interests. So find people that are creating things that you care about. Try to be in their tribe, because they will be the ones that encourage you and push you forward. Um, And then also, again, just kind of restating Pursuing a perspective of openness rather than a perspective that prioritizes hierarchies or value judgments. Um, I think that the more open people can be about new experiences or ideas, the better and the more rewarding it has been in my life uh, to get to explore some of those things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, and that's taken place in, in higher education and just in my own life. But I don't know, just understanding that ideas that people have, whether you agree with them or not, or whether you think that they're highbrow or lowbrow, they're part of this longer history of human thought, which is mm-hmm. super interesting to me.
0: It is super interesting. And your mind is a super interesting place. And and I know that myself and and all of our listeners and listeners to come followers to come of yours are grateful that you are living out uh living out those interests and thoughts for the rest of us. It kind of gives the rest of us a permission slip to be ourselves too. So, thank you Kyle. Thank you for being being on Cageless today. Can you tell us how we can find you? Not on not in no one go to his house. Don't give us your address. <laughs> what is <laughs> How can we find you online? How can we find your work?
1: Yeah, so um, you can message me through Instagram. It's just panic underscore Kyle, and I have the same handle for TikTok. So you can follow me there, but you can't. They don't let you direct message people on TikTok anymore, unless right. you're unless you're mutual followers. So, right. um, yeah, and then you can check out the podcast, which is called What Are You Reading, and there you'll find an email address that you can get in touch with me if you would like.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Kyle Johnson, uh, for being on Cageless today.
1: Okay. Thank you, Jenny.
0: Bye, guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcast. It's important because, well, I want to know what you think. You can ask me questions at Cageless Podcast on Instagram or text me at 903-871-5092.